We've been in the middle of our series called Christ for Us, where we've done kind of a greatest hits gospel survey where we're going around the gospels and we're exploring all that Jesus is for us. And so we've done Christ our joy, that was water into wine. We've done Christ our peace, where he calmed the storm. We've done Christ our shepherd when he fed 5,000 people. Tonight, what we're going to see is that Christ is our healer. Christ is our healer. So if you have been watching currently, or if you've completed Ted Lasso, you probably have just inevitably fallen in love with that head soccer coach, Ted Lasso. We love Ted. He's known for all kinds of things. He's known for his just general joyfulness, his endearingly bad and hilarious puns all the time, like his pep talks with his team. He's in this kind of cynical environment, um, and yet he comes in with joy. That's what we know about Ted Lasso, and we love it. We can't take our eyes off of the show because of his joy. But what we're beginning to see, and it's not a surprise to us because we know how life in a fallen world is, we're also learning that Ted is imperfect. That underneath the pep talks and all the puns is anxiety. And we learn that his marriage is falling apart. And life is complicated for Ted. And there's a scene where after one of the victories that his team wins, they go to this karaoke bar and it's very loud in this this loud kind of nightclub bar setting. And in the middle of one of the karaoke songs, Ted begins to have a panic attack right in the middle of it. And he leaves. He leaves and he goes outside and he gets done and there's a great moment in between with between him and Rebecca, the owner of the club. And it's a profound moment. What we learn is that a newspaper outlet publishes a story for everyone to see that Ted has a panic attack and he's not fit to be coach. And this is unbelievably humiliating. His struggle and his imperfection and the fact that he's finite and imperfect is everywhere. And so shame follows Ted around after this incident. And what we're going to see tonight when we look at this story where Jesus interacts with this woman who lives in a prison of shame. One uh, author says that shame lives in the shadows and it grows like wildfire, no pun intended. It grows in the shadows. And you know that because we carry it all around. We're going to talk about shame tonight, what it is, what it isn't. But it's been said that unconditional love is the most powerful force in the universe and shame is right behind it. Unconditional love is the most powerful force in the universe and shame is right behind it. Let's read the passage and walk through it. We're going to see Christ, our healer, where Jesus zooms in on this woman in the shadows, and he meets her right where she is. This is Mark 5. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little girl is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. This is Jairus' daughter. They're 
the text is ex- explaining this situation. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard their reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she had said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. All all the physicians, all 12 years, pouring her guts out to Jesus. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I forgot to say that this is God's word and he is not silent. He's spoken to you and to me tonight, not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me tonight because he loves us. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for fall break. Thanks for the traveling we did and the yummy food we ate and the fellowship we had with friends and family. Thank you for getting us back here safely. We asked for this. This time last week, we asked for rest. We asked for safe travel, and you gave it to us. And we find ourselves here tonight with, just like we said last week, exams and papers and midterms and friendships and conflict and awkward conversations. And here we are. We come to you honestly. Meet us right where we are. Um, and that we would see Jesus and his beauty and his love and the power of his love to meet us in our shame. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you see the game plan before you, the power of shame, the power of love. The power of shame and the power of love. Side note, if you've ever seen uh, Back to the Future, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, grew up on that movie, there's a song called The Power of Love by Huey Lewis in the News that you should listen to tonight before bed. Okay, It's called The Power of Love. All right, moving on. The Power of Shame before we get there. And I will say there's a campus minister at the University of Vanderbilt, at RUF Vanderbilt. His name is Richie Sessions, and he's been a huge help to me with this sermon. So I want to give Richie some credit. All right, here we are. Jairus' daughter. She's in the shadows. What a vivid story. As we read this, it's hard not for your mind to go in the crowds in this supermarket kind of hustle and bustle where this interaction happens with Jesus. But we know that she has been in this prison of shame in the shadows for 12 years. We don't know why she's bleeding. Oftentimes in that society, when you had physical ailments, if you were sick, the society was like, well, what did she do wrong? What did he do wrong? Why is she sick? It was They must have been caught in sin and God is punishing them. But what we do know is that in the Levitical priesthood, according to Old Testament law, she would have been ritually unclean. And so for 12 years being ignored, 12 years being in the shadows of isolation and living under the banner, unclean, that is her identity. That's what we know. For 12 years, she's lived a life consumed with that word unclean 
in the shadows. If you've seen Les Mis, Les Miserables, you'll know that there's this character, Fontaine, who resorts to prostitution to pay for um, her child's like food and lodging, and she resorts to this, and she is in the shadows. If any character, there are a lot of characters in the shadows in Les Mis, but Fontaine is one of them, and she has this song that she, her character is known for, and it's called I Dreamed a Dream. You might have heard this song, and this stanza captures what this woman is living in so, so well. And this is what she lived. This is Fontaine. I had a dream that my life would be so different from this hell that I'm living, so different from what it seemed, and now life has killed that dream that I dreamed. Shame in the shadows. That's this woman. Richie Sessions said that this is probably the most this is the saddest woman in the Bible. I think that's right. This is the saddest woman in the universe. Right here. And we all carry shame around with us all day. Now, it might not be issues like this woman. It might not be something that makes us ritually unclean. But we carry around things about our lives. Things about our stories that have been things that have been done to us, things we've done to other people, even things about our personality and the way that we look, things about our bodies that makes us feel unworthy, makes us feel unlovable, and makes us feel like because of X, Y, and Z, no one can love me. Because of X, Y, and Z, Jesus can never accept me. There's no chance for me because of X, Y, and Z. I was having a conversation over the weekend. I was in Texas, and I was talking with a student, and there was this phrase that she said to me that stuck out to me for our purposes tonight because she said it jokingly but there was there was some sadness underneath the joke and she said I hate the way I look in this shirt I hate the way I look in this shirt and she got some like it was quasi snarky and her friends knew that she doesn't like that shirt and everything and I was just like that's it She's not ritually unclean. Have you ever heard someone say, maybe you've said this, I hate to listen to myself talk. I hate the sound of my voice. We carry around shame every day, right here tonight. So I don't know what that thing or those things are, but I know you have them. Unlovable, unworthy, gross, dirty, X, Y, and Z makes me that. What is it? The text is inviting us to ask that question. This woman also, what's also so hopeless and sad about it is that she's tried everything. Notice in verse 25, we read that she's been to all the physicians. She's been all to the pharmacies. They've given her everything over the counter. She's tried it all. Nothing has worked out. She's actually spent all of her money on it. That's what we read. Saddest woman in the Bible, in the shadows. Twelve years of this. How many of us have said about those things that I'm mentioning? Our sin, sins against us, trauma, body issues, panic attacks, anxiety, out of control shame stuff that makes us feel unworthy. I've tried that. Now, I know you love me, you have good intentions, 
Mindfulness only goes so far. It's not going to work. I've tried it. Therapy only goes so far. I've tried it. I've been to five therapists, right? How many have, in that part of your life, whatever those things are, when you've said, Matt, I know, but I've tried that before. I've tried praying that prayer. I've tried that Bible reading plan. I've tried that New Year's resolution, and it's not working. She has been to 10 physicians, several physicians, and it's not working. This woman, she's absolutely in the shadows, hopeless and deflated. We need to sit in that and get honest about it and not pretend that we don't carry this around. She's tried it all, except one physician that she hears about. Let's go to the power of love. Richie says this in his, in his uh, sermon on this, love comes looking. Love comes looking, and I love that. I love that phrase. Jesus stopped everything for this girl. Jesus didn't have to stop. In verses 21 to 24, we read that Jesus is traveling. Word is getting around about Jesus. Jesus is going around doing all these famous sermons, doing these famous hearings. Word, there's a buzz about Jesus. He's on the run. He's got ways or his GPS, Google Maps are locked in. He's getting off the boat, making a beeline to do more healings. And this guy named Jairus shows up who was a religious leader, and he says, come see my daughter, she's about to die. And Jesus says, I'll stop, I'll stop ways, gets his, he stops. All right, we'll go, let's go. And he makes a beeline right to her. Love goes right into the shadows. That's what Jesus does always. Right when we, or culture, or Wofford College, or corners of this campus says, off limits. This group of people is off limits. Those groups of sins are off limits. Jesus is like, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. She's, where I'm, she's what I need. I'm going there. Love goes to the shadows. Wherever and whatever we say is off limits, watch out where Jesus might go. In verse 7, we read, and I love this, this is my favorite part of the story. She heard reports about Jesus. Can you imagine? I, I don't know why that, that line um, is so striking to me. This struck me so profoundly right in my tracks when I was studying this. That, that's the verse that goes off the page for me because you think of the power of the shadow of the shames and she hears a flicker of hope from this guy. A different physician. She's tried everything and she just hears rumors. She probably didn't see any of the healings. I gotta go. I've gotta go. Can you see her? Richie in his sermon describes this woman in the supermarket setting. Can you see her? She's like weaving in and out of traffic like a scared little kitten going up to Jesus. She didn't want to go up to his face because she was scared of the judgment that he might give her because of everything she's had for 12 years. I have to sneak up behind him, but if I touch his garment with my pinky, just barely, I've heard the rumors, I've got to try it. She's going for it. She's going for it socially. Everyone knew she was unclean. 
with my pinky if I can touch him. And she, he turns around. Who's touched me? Who's touched me? And just like that, she's healed. She touches him. We could nerd out about these like garments that they wore. But the, the point, the passage is wanting us to, to see that these are these long like Jedi looking robes, you know. And she just gets the very bottom. Why? She falls on her face in the middle of everybody. Just to get the last part of his garment. And just like that, healed. 12 years, healed. 12 years in the shadow, gone. Just like that. It says that she felt in her body. Could you imagine that? In verse 34, Jesus says, Your faith has made you well. I think this is such a beautiful picture of what faith is. I don't know what your picture of faith is, but when I was growing up, I think I was just thinking of like that, you know that one youth group Sunday school kid that never misses? Maybe you were that, you know, there's grace for you if you were that kid, but I was not that kid. And those guys made me feel like I had inferior faith. Like I was the basketball player, artsy fartsy guy who didn't belong at church. And I had inferior faith because I just had a speck. And a speck, according to Jesus, is enough. A speck of faith is enough. If I can just touch his jacket, maybe the rumors are true. She's risking everything. She's going for it. He is her last shot hanging by a thread. So I want to ask you, if you have faith tonight, is that you? Is it a speck? Is it weak? Is it hanging on by a thread? Welcome to the club. You are in good company. This is the saddest woman in the Bible. She is a saint. Speck of faith. She's going for it. Seniors, if you have barely survived Wofford College, a Christian, by a thread, you're in good company. If your faith is weak, freshman, because you still don't feel at home at Wofford College, shocker, right? But you're holding on by a thread that God's still at some point going to keep his word to you and provide for you. You're in good company. It's enough. And if anyone makes you feel, especially Christians, that you're, the speck is not enough. Like, you got to move on. Jesus is not saying, like, okay, we need, to graduate, we need graduate school program of faith. Sanctification is becoming more like Jesus. Get your Bible reading plan. Let's do mission trip. Like, we're going to talk about what happens to her and how we think that she probably lived a different life because Jesus throws her out of the shadows. Of course her life changes, but the speck of faith is where we have to sit. All right, what happens? That's her faith. She gets a new name. Jesus gives her a new name. Saddest girl in the Bible, Jesus sees her. She sneaks up, scared little kitten. I've got to see him. She falls down. Jesus feels her tug on his coat and he just says who touched me who touched me now 
I want, I, I don't, we could just, there's so many gospel like interactions that we can just skip over and we could skip over this one. So I, I want, I want y'all to think about this. 12 years of isolation, 12 years of being ignored socially. And Jesus, even just in that question, he's not accusing her. I'm on my way, like this is my GPS plan. I'm going this way. What, is, what are you doing? That is not it in the question. He is saying, as the second person of Trinity, of course he knows the 12-year history of isolation and loneliness. He's saying, no one's talked to you. I'm going to talk to you. Who touched me? You touched me. There's even a grace in his answer that she is worth speaking to because no one was talking to her. She hadn't even been healed yet. And he's bestowing grace on her, even in the interaction, in his words. And then we get to the magic. Her new name. First word. Daughter. Daughter. I thought I'm unclean. Daughter. Twelve years. Daughter. Scholars note that this is the only time in the New Testament and in the Gospels where Jesus uses, New Testament was written in Greek originally, this Greek word for daughter in the whole New Testament Gospels. So I just want to suggest that this is a name just for her. This is a use of daughter even. He's like, I'm not going to use the normal language. I have this word for you. You, yes, even you, son, even you, daughter, tonight, even you. Twelve years of the shadow. Dirty. Unclean. Isolation. Daughter, 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 daughter. Shame has met its match with Jesus. He has no time for it. Jesus addresses her with her true name. And that's what we see. What a surprise. Could you imagine? I just can't even imagine her hearing those words from Jesus. Love goes into the shadows looking for you, the real you, as you are here tonight, just as you are. Not so you can get your clean, yourself cleaned up, like right as you are. That's where he's going. That's how safe you are with him. Son, daughter, that's your name. Not your sin. Not your past. Not this semester so far. Daughter, speck of faith. Son, speck of faith. Daughter. The power of love. All right, Richard Seltzer is this physician who wrote a book about his experience as a surgeon and he tells the story of a young couple and um, that he encountered in his work and this woman had a tumor in her face that he had to operate on and in the operation nothing wrong in the surgery happened he had to sever a nerve in her face that meant that her face was always going to be kind of disfigured and sort of crooked looking in her face like a crooked smile, he describes it. And I want to read you about, I want to read you a section where the doctor 
describes this interaction that he sees between the couple after the surgery, after her face is disfigured. Here's the doctor. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy clownish look. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, one of the muscles of her mouth has been severed. She will be like this from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. But nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, who gaze at and touch each other so generously and greedily? The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say, it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful of me, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I'm so close that I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers to show her that their kiss still works. Shame has met its match with the power of love, unconditional love that goes right into the shadows. We could talk about that scene for 45 minutes and unpack it. But we don't have time to do that. We're going to land the plane with two points of application. Point one. Ministry is full of wounded healers. Wounded healers. That's Henry Nouwen's phrase, not mine. Wounded healers. Second, go for it with Jesus. Let's do the first one. Wounded healers. Christian ministry, you know, I, again, I thought that the all-star faithful Christian in Sunday school with some, some version of being so polished up, whatever that means, whatever polished spiritually and physically and socially looks like. You know what ministry is? Ministry is a group of people and everyone's called to ministry. I'm not talking about type clergy ordained ministry. It's not just me and Caroline. Everybody that is a Christian is called to ministry. And here's what it is. It's a group of people who have been wounded by the impossibility of life in a fallen world. And Jesus has stepped into the darkness of their shame, called them a new name. And now you go into the shadows of everyone else's shame in their wounds and you participate in the healing of the world. Where Jesus says, I'm going to make everything new and you get in on it. Why not as a perfectionistic, polished that is not biblical at all. It's a wounded healer. I always used to say, why do I want to be a pastor? And this is, this is autobiographical for me because I had so many bad pastors growing up. So I got to do it because I was wounded and I got to do it. I can't do anything else. And that's me. 
But that's y'all too. You know people, underclassmen and freshmen, upperclassmen, you know underclassmen right now that are walking around with familiar wounds because you know what it felt like to be lonely freshman year. You know what it felt like to be in November, basically, and not know who your people are. You remember what that was like. You were wounded, but you, God has healed you from that. Now let's go into the shadows with them. That's ministry. It's not let's pull our bootstraps up together and get spiritually polished. Get out of town with that. Wounded healers. The Samaritan woman, I remember Tim Udodge, a friend of mine, came to RUF and speak on the Samaritan woman's story. I'm not going to talk about that story, but here's what we see. She was healed. She was basically a prostitute. Jesus heals her. She goes in. She basically becomes a missionary. The most broken people are the best missionaries. The best healers are the wounded ones. Welcome to the club. Let's get after it. Okay. Go for it with Jesus. Are you curious about Jesus? I recognize that as so many campus ministers will allude to sometimes in RUF, when you're on the college campus, it's like RUF lunch and Burwell is great. Large group's great. Our preaching is just not that good. Worship is way better than our preaching. Like you probably are here because you like a cute boy or a cute girl. Let's just be honest. So if along the way and just checking RUF out, because I don't know where everyone is spiritually, if you're just a flicker of curiosity, go for it. What do you have to lose? Go for it. Like this woman, go for it. A speck, go for it. If you're curious at all and report back, try it. Try it on. Try following Jesus on. Because there are reports. Man, that verse gets me every time. I'm going to try to make it. There are reports all over the Bible that he really did die. That he shed blood that is really sufficient for anything you can throw at him. There are reports that he walked up out of a graveyard. There are reports that he ascended and thrown his spirit on the church. And there are reports that he's going to come back to dwell with us forever and wipe away all tears that shame has brought on. Gone. And this, I love this story so much because it's so overlooked but what happens to this woman in this interaction is what's going to happen with the healing of the world and we get a taste of it let me pray